Welcome to Winning Uglier with Brad Gilbert. What up, everyone? It's Buck here, and it's going to be training day at Winning Uglier. My dad and I have a great guest in Mark Grabo, who's my dad's good friend, and he was his longtime fitness trainer. And Mark, after playing professional soccer in the NASL, he spent 23 years in the Golden State Warriors organization, culminating with the role of director of athletic development. And in addition to basketball and working with my dad, he worked with several other top tennis players along the way, uh, including Andy Murray, Andy Roddick, Jennifer Capriati, and Mary Pierce, just to name a few. And now he's a development and conditioning consultant based in the Bay Area. Mark, or G as my dad calls him right off the bat, you know, I thought he had just a lot of great information, especially for junior players. And we also talk warm-ups and cool-downs that's going to be really useful for club players. And then we talk about on the, the pro tennis landscape, like how athletes are just getting bigger and faster and stronger and as well as the effect that technology has had on training. Plus, we get into a, a couple listener questions that were that I've been holding off on that were fitness-related that Mark help, helps us answer. So, hope you guys enjoy the conversation, and uh, it's coming right up. Good morning, G. First thing now, every time that I look at a player on evaluations because of you so long ago, I don't look as much at somebody's strokes or how they're playing as I look at their feet and how the evolution of footwork has really dramatically changed in the way you evaluate talent now. No question. I think um, if you look at every skill sport, uh, soccer, basketball, tennis, all starts from the ground up. So educating your feet as a young player is probably just as important as the technical skills that you teach your juniors and all other coaches. Because like everything, it's all preparation. You know, if your feet are not right, you can't shoot the jump shot correctly. If your feet are not right, you can't hit, you can't be set up for the forehand or the backhand. If your feet aren't right, you can't volley a ball on a soccer field. So everything is initiated with the feet. So the importance of educating the feet and the foot skills involved in all these, uh, you know, specialized sports is, is just, I, it's just so important. So important. So a lot of the things, Brad, Brad, so a lot of the things that we did back in the 80s, uh, the drills that we did together, I think we were ahead of our time in a lot of things that we did uh, on the court. So uh, we were creative and, you know, I'd like to think that it, it transferred to the matches that you played in. Do, would you agree? Gee, I mean, I'll never forget, speaking of the 80s and, and creativity, when you taught me in 1984, the crossover move on recovery, it seemed right. like such a basic thing, but every time I hit a running forehand, I never stopped. I kept remember, running and then literally wasted about three steps on the recovery. So, you know, just learning a basic move like that changed dramatically my movement. And I feel like the course of my tennis career. 
Yeah, and that is now adopted by, I mean, when the ball is hit with pace down the line and you've got to go get it and then recover back to the center line, you see it everywhere now because the, obviously the pace of the ball now is just, it's, it's crazy, you know, these young kids now. But you were ahead of your time, and I think, you know, it's just, it's just educating players and coaches of how to get back to the center of the court and, and do your thing. And it's in a, to watch the game now, um, the evolution of athletes – I mean, it's crazy. I mean, look at every sport now. I mean, you've seen Tatis, the shortstop at, at the Padres. You've seen Metcalf last night on the wideouts. I mean, the size is, and even in the tennis world now, it's amazing the evolution of how big and strong and fast these guys are now. Well, what up, Mark? It's uh, Zach here. Hey, Zach. And I just, you know, just right along the lines with that, I just wanted to ask you um, how has fitness training evolved throughout the course of your career? Like what have you sort of adapted, you know, as we move towards the present? Well, from the 80s, you know, with Brad, starting with Brad and up until, up until now, there was just so much more information um, and tools to make an athlete better. There's just so much and much of it's been poured into technology. So to give you an example wearable devices if you've watched uh and this all originated in, in europe with soccer players and now they're taking it to all sports um i don't know how prevalent it is in tennis now but in basketball and football and soccer and i don't see why it would not be used in tennis um but these wearable devices when you're training and even when you're playing um, it's attached to the clothing and or it's attached to the body. I mean, if you watch the Tour de France last week, all these guys, when it gets warm, they zip down the shirts. You see the wearable device that they're – so you can measure their heart rate, even the force production into the pedals. And they measure the athlete's workload during games and practices, and, and they can monitor it in real time, the athlete's biometrics, their heart rate. Even now with recovery, uh, there's just so much information now that you have to allow an athlete to uh, – reach their best. Well, one thing I just curious about sometimes with information, you know, what is the balance for, for an athlete on that and the trainer? Because somehow, you know, you, you want more, you want more. How, how do you balance that? And the one thing that I'm most curious about, if you don't have great feet and footwork, is, is that more tough to learn than, than a good swing on the forehand? Well, I will say this. You'll be behind the eight ball a little bit um, if you don't have the feet, especially at the high levels, because all these kids can move and, and recover back. And, you know, with great feet, um, it's like they say, you can't pick your parents. <laughs> Some kids just have it, <laughs> uh, whether it's size or, and, or, or foot speed. You know, you look at someone like, you know, back in the day when I had Capriati when she was just coming out. I mean, obviously – her hand skills, her hand-eye, her racket skills were phenomenal. But from the waist down, she struggled. And I think we could all agree to that. So that's something that, you know, you have to continually, continually work at. And sometimes, you know, those are things that kids don't like to work on. They don't like to work on those weaknesses. But if you are going to be elite, you better have good feet. <laughs> that's, that's got a nice ring to it. I like that one. I like that a lot. Um, in the and that was not intended. <laughs> maybe, maybe you should keep it though. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then just talking about tennis spe uh, specifically, I mean, I know you said, you know, for all these skill sports, it, it does start with the base down. But do you think there's anything that does, you know, sort of 
differentiate for tennis what you need to work on in comparison to say uh, uh, basketball or soccer? Yeah, I think you know, as conditioning coaches, strength and conditioning coaches, performance coaches, what you're always trying to do is recognize the elements of that particular sport. So from the top down, I think, I mean, tennis is a throwing sport, right? With the serve, it's a throwing Mm -hmm. sport. So as a conditioning coach, you have to recognize that. And what are you going to do to avoid any type of injury from, say, a junior player? And just like Little League pitchers and some of these coaches that are throwing these kids out there day after day after day, you still have to be cognizant of that young tennis player of how many serves you're throwing up there every day and you're not stressing that young child. Um, So number one, it's a throwing sport. Number two, it's a rotation sport, all right, from the forehand and the backhand. So again, you're looking at core strength, all right, the ability to produce force through the core and through the legs. And it's also a leg sport. You have to have a great base of support. You know, there's a saying, you can't shoot a cannon out of a canoe. (laughs) That's good. Meaning you must have a strong base. You have to be on balance. And that all starts with the legs. So if you want to produce force, you have to have that solid base. So um, it goes from head to toe. It really is. And then it finishes with the feet. So all those elements have to be recognized by the coach, whether it's a junior player or an elite player and understanding of taking all those elements and every player and recognizing their weaknesses. I mean, you're going to spend more time on foot skills than you are perhaps um, on the serve if, if the kid has pretty much mastered that. But again, you have to really be wary of understanding, you know, what is too much for a, for a young player if you want to keep them healthy. Well, we used to have fun together cross-training with Chris Mullen. Obviously, sometimes mm-hmm. we did the same things, a lot of things different. One thing I'm seeing so much now, and I'm sure you're running into this, is kids at a young age. This didn't apply to me and Chris when we were young, all in on one sport. You know, so they're not playing multiple sports. So does that make your training different in training a young athlete when they're just all in on one sport? Well, you know, I think it's the parents. I mean, if the kid loves the game, then it's hard to take he or she away from the game if that's what they truly love. But at the same time, I don't think there's any question about the importance of striking the right balance of, of the importance of making a total athlete out of that particular player. So even if you have, even if you don't play soccer with a team, there's no reason why a coach and their young player can get on a grass field and work on those little soccer fields that number one will really carry over onto the, onto the field and hand eye is so important. So um, you remember all those little drills we used to do with hand eye off the wall and reaction drills and check, check. I, I mean, I, I can wake up in the middle of the night right. and hear you say check on everything. Right, right. So, <laughs> you know, you're trying to be as creative as you can, having the, the, the kid really, really enjoy it, make it challenging, make the drills challenging. Um, with basketball, for instance, you know, I knew I wasn't going to get to get Chris in shape. It was going to be, you know, 400 meter intervals and running and till his tongue hangs out. You want to, you know, put the ball in the player's hand or the racket in the player's hand, uh, make the drills specific to the sport, but also challenging. And it all goes hand in hand to making an enjoyable type of training because training's not fun. You know that. I mean, training is tough and you felt it and you know it. I remember this. I remember the swimming pool. You had me in the swimming pool, treading water. I was dreading that. And 
But it's like one of those things that like you knew that it was probably a good thing for me to be doing. No question. No question. And it wasn't something that we did every day where, you know, we're always trying to find different elements that will take your fitness level up, uh, different types of activities that will take your fit. You know, it's like a cross training, but has a a training effect to allow you to be uh, in better condition. Do you think now we have a lot of these guys that are 6'10", 6'11". Riley Opelka is almost seven feet tall. First of all, did you ever think we would see these big guys? And do you think that potentially we'll ever see a big guy in tennis be number one in the world and dominate? Why not? Look, you have a Kevin Durant, 6'10", playing you know, the two guards sometimes. You have, we've seen Giannis and we've seen these just, I, I mean, you saw the, the US Open yesterday with DeChambeau. I mean, he's, he's just, you know, people were questioning what his approach is going to be. And he's He's just doing something that's kind of breaking the ceiling some way in golf. So you're seeing some of these amazing type of athletes just do some incredible things. So why not? There, there's someone out there. There's someone out there if given the chance and the opportunity. And that's, that's the thing. It's access. You know, How do you find that athlete who doesn't have the access? And it's in so many sports where kids don't have the ability to spend money on, on you know, sports that are somewhat you know, expensive. You know? um, but they're out there, Brad. Zach, they're, they're, they're out there. You just have to find it. And uh, look at Bol Bol. I mean, look at that kid. Who would ever think, Manute's son, look, when you look at him, but yet you watch him and in a couple of years, you know, assuming he stays healthy, he's, he'll be okay. Yeah, and I think even with the tall guys in tennis, you're seeing an evolution in the athleticism that they have. Like Opelka, mm-hmm. who my dad just mentioned, I mean, his movement is, is pretty – Damn impressive for someone that's seven feet tall compared to guys like the previous generation, Isner and Karlovich, who are, you know, really big guys, but their movement, you know, so-so, and I'd say subpar compared to some of the NBA guys. But Opelka is getting right there. So, yeah, like you said, I don't see why not. Yeah, you're – look, there's – you're just – look, again, it's the evolution. You're going to find 6'10 guys. Like, look at years ago, if you watch NBA films and 6'10 guys, they were lumbering, and now look at 6'10 guys in basketball. They're, they're, they're running the floor. Yep. They're playing like guards. So why not tennis? Yep. We saw a guy last night that he's old school. He kind of lumbers. And Reggie Miller had the funniest line, slow guys running the hall, Jokic, last night. And he's still <laughs> amazing for a guy yeah. that's not that quick. He's just unbelievable. He reminds yeah. me of a guy that like Mully would love to play with. Unbelievably skilled, skilled yes. hands, but works hard even though the feet aren't the greatest. Correct. Yeah. They find a way. You know, they find a way. And they utilize that skill because Jokic is he's special. I mean, he is a special player and, and he's so young. So, you know, good days are ahead for them and, and the Nuggets. And just uh, shifting gears a little bit, I wanted to talk about, you know, in relation for, you know, play, you know, tennis players at home and athletes of all sports at home. Like what are some of the most common, you know, fixes or bad habits that you'll notice, you know, even even with the pros that you train? But what are some of the things that, that jump out most commonly? Uh, probably for young players in most sports is they're going too fast. Everything is speeded up and whether they want to, you know, do something so well, they play too quickly. And, you know, one thing about in every skill sport, space equals time and time equals options. Beautiful saying. Okay. So when you have that, so let's look at the quarterback the quarterback pocket. When Brady has, has space, he has time and he has options with a soccer player, the midfielder, when he's being 
you know, when there's players con- uh, coming down on him, he doesn't have time. He doesn't have space. He has to get out of that situation. Uh, same thing with basketball. You're always trying to create space. So you have time. So the same thing applies with, with, uh, with tennis. The ability to get back to the center of the court and the distance of the ball coming and your ability to be waiting for it will give you options, okay? So someone who doesn't have foot speed, they're just they're, they're all over the place. So again, that young player has to learn foot speed, foot technique to allow him to do all the technical work well that Brad teaches. If that's clear. Yeah, no, no, no. Incredibly oh, I just clear. wanted to say, because I'll, I'll notice that too, where young players, when they're, um, you know, first kind of like learning footwork technique, they totally will rush it and, and they don't really get the coordination, you know, down as well as they should. They just want to go, you know, as fast as they possibly can, but without really being efficient with the, with the footwork. Like, let's say we're doing a ladder drill or a cone drill. And it's like, I'll, I'll always tell them if I'm teaching a lesson, slow mm-hmm. down, get it right, you know, first, you know, at a speed that's actually comfortable and, and then, you know, you speed it up from there. Well, sometimes you could just take the ball out of play and just rehearse the movements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know like shadow and drills. Slow them yeah. down from, from, you know, from 78 to 45 for all those oldsters who had vinyl. <laughs> um, so uh, it's, it's just, uh, you know, really understanding the athletes wanted, they're coachable, they want to do well, they want to please, and they have high expectations of themselves. But at the same time, you've got to, you know, you, like they say, you crawl, then you walk, and you walk, then you run, and run, then you, then you sprint. So it's no different. And every sport has a progression. Every drill has a progression. So you can't start out at high speeds, and they're just going to get frustrated. You know, you even see it at the high, high levels, players getting frustrated. So, you know, the more, the more experience that you have, the game will start to slow down a little bit more in every sport and being in situations high stress situations Um, because I've always said stress in any sport or tension in any sport is the devil. Tension is the devil. I'm going to go back to something that you said from the beginning, the core, you know, is so important and constantly, even 35 years ago, you were always changing the routine. Was that because of you always felt like the athlete would get used to it or want to be, not prepared for something or you feel like even today it's best to constantly be evolving and changing the routine for a player, you know, or whether or not it's just a club player or a kid to, to improve. If you have a creative trainer, there's no reason why you should be keeping things stale. All right. Creativity is, is, is a wonderful thing to have and understand that if you want that athlete to come back every day, eager to get a little bit better each day, you better be creative. And so all the things that we did, Brad, always, like in other words, every exercise you should do should have a purpose, you know, should have a purpose that why are you doing this? And you want athletes to say, why are we doing this? And you better have the answer to that. Andy Murray was always about why on every single thing. He'd always ask why. He was the first one that (laughs) everything I would say, and he'd ask me why make me scratch my head. But I like that. You're, You're a little hipper than me on that. Yeah, and you better under you better be able to have the answer for that because the next thing you may not have a job the next day. So um, yeah, there's nothing wrong with being challenged by the athlete, but um, again, you're just always looking for something that is very appropriate to the game, keeps the player coming back every day. All right, I'm 59 years young. 
And I'm sure that you, you see some people in my age group as we get older, how important is it to be efficient in what you're doing on your warm up and your cool down? Which which is more key for the older athlete, you know, that we're still playing and you know, maybe we're not competing at the highest level, but we still enjoy doing what we're doing. And we want to do it until we're we, we can't. So if you look at the three M's in this, that's part of your answer, and I'll expound a little bit. Muscle, metabolism, and mobility. Those are the three things as we all age, all right, especially men. They lose muscle mass. They lose mobility, especially in the hips, all right, and muscle, obviously, uh, metabolism. Everything slows. Belly fat expands. We're all fighting it, okay? So if you can address those things as part of your training, uh, we lose muscle mass because of our testosterone levels drop. And so there's just a lot of things that you have to fight. You're always fighting the good fight. But probably when a, a, an elder player gets on there, a senior player gets on there, you want to really warm the core temperature of the entire body up to prepare yourself. So like we used to do a little jogging before for two to three minutes to raise the core temperature of the body up to warm it up. Now you're progressing into dynamic mobility, mobility with movement, like pull the knees up to the chest while you're walking. Um, all these different areas of, of getting ready of low intensity where you're stretching or not stretching the joints, but you're warming the joints. It's really, really important. And people confuse uh, mobility with flexibility. Flexibility is with tissue, lengthening tissue. Mobility is joint movement. So you're trying to mix both of those together. And then when you're finished with the match, you know, you have um, any type of high intensity work, you have a leaching effect of muscles. That's where, you know, you're going to stretch out, slow stretch out that muscle, lengthen it back out, having some nutritional drink after um, for recovery. And obviously, you know, there's been a big evolution on um, on recovery, especially sleep and, and so on. So those are the things that are really, really important for young, older people. I'm curious about this. I, I always wondered way back in the day that, you know, a lot of tennis players walk out on the court like I am now. They're, you know, they... Not in a full sweat, but you would see boxers completely in a full sweat. I'm seeing way more players now. A guy I interviewed before playing a quarterfinal at the Open, born a court, absolutely drenched. And I'm seeing Djokovic, I'm seeing Rafa, I'm seeing a lot more tennis players come out on the court after, you know, or coming right from the gym. So how is the balance of that? that you don't leave too much, you know, or, or you, you know, you don't do enough. Yeah. I love that. I love that because I used to tell my guys with the warriors, you know, if you are, you know, if you have, if you're a slow starter, you got to treat that warm up, you know, that pregame warm up, um, like it's almost like the first five minutes of a game. So you are, you are ready. But again, every athlete has to find their sweet spot in that, you know, and as a coach, you probably need to eyeball that too. You better have both eyeballs on that athlete and see how they perform in the beginning. Because if they are too, if they are not quite there in the beginning or they're not right, you know, we've got to make some adjustments in that pregame warmup. So I like the fact that they're like boxers getting into the ring and they're ready to rock. 
but you know, there's a point of doing overdoing it. And I'd probably say a three set match versus a five set match. You're probably going to have some adjustments in that. I think that's, that's really important too, because yeah, I, I feel like I, when I was playing in college and stuff, I was, I was on that slow si- starter side of the spectrum. So especially if it was like mm-hmm. a, a morning match, I, I'd really need to get going, you know, a good, you know, 45 minutes and yeah, like really be ready to go. Like you said, like that last five minutes of the warm up is the same as a match. And I think there's just a lot of players at home that, yeah, they just don't put that, that quite enough time into it to get fully, you know, warm, but you know, yeah, it, it totally is a balance. Brad, are those in, in, at the high levels, are those courts on the side from the main court? Do players utilize that just before a match? I saw Zverev, who played in the mm-hmm. final of the Open, come from the court where he did a lot of, you know, stuff that he was doing on the court. But I see Djokovic and quite a few players will come right from the gym and they're doing tons of bands and resistance and a mm-hmm. lot, but a lot more, and they're doing the ball drills that we did. They're doing stuff for their eyes. They're doing a lot more things. You ever seen this boxer, Lemachenko? Some of the things that he, yes. yeah. Yeah. Some of the things that he does. But I'm seeing a lot more players do things in the gym, little quick burst, you know, where it's more about mentally and physically. And I, I, I can't help but think those would be great for kids. So you, you also, yeah. you're doing some fun things as well. Yeah, no question. What you're really doing is you're firing up your nerve, your nervous system. You know what I'm saying? So now when you see the ball come off those strings, you're, 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 ready. you're alert. You know, everything's fire. You're alert. Exactly. I used you're to go alert. a cup of coffee for alertness. <laughs> hey, whatever, you know. Yeah. So uh, it, it really fires up your neural patterns and your, your ability to just, you know, read and react. So the, some of the drills that we used to do, um, we used the sound cue, check, right? That is a sound stimulus versus, you know, the stimulus of the ball coming off the racket. So you have to read and react. You hear, you're here, you hear it, and then you react. So it's no different. That nervous system is still going to fire. So that's what you're trying to do. Gee, just hearing you, your inspiration is such a key, you know, to having somebody want to do it. I, I feel like I'm the same as a coach, you know, and you, you live the passion and, now you're 35 years on, how much of the stuff that you did way back in the day, like you've changed from that, you've on to nude things, or you still incorporate things that you did that we did way back in the day? I never feel like I know enough about this. So I'm continually, like any athlete, you're trying to get better all the time. So I'm continually listening and hearing things that I think, yeah, that's good. That's good stuff. I can use that. But at the same time, I do think a lot of the things that we did back in the day, Brad, were really, really cutting edge. And I see some of the things now on, on the football field for receivers and hand-eye things. Yeah, that's, that's kind of somewhat we did. But um, I'd like to grab a lot of these coaches and show them some things that we did. And I'm sure they're not doing them. No, I still see, I see a lot of guys do stuff. And I do, you know, sometimes you, you really see something and, and, whoa. And then sometimes you see stuff and like, hmm. Maybe that one, I'd scratch that one. Yeah. You know, it's like in the weight room sometimes. Sometimes you see some of these circus acts that your guys mm. are standing on balls and they're like, what, what are we doing here? You know, and sometimes the most simple things, the most appropriate things are the best things. So, you know, you're not trying to reinvent anything, um, but uh, just make sure that every drill is, is really um, appropriate for that player in that sport. You'd be, I don't know if you'd be happy or disheveled with me. During this pandemic, I've gone back to old school. 
I'm doing an insane amount of push-ups. I'm with you. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's like it's the greatest, the greatest upper body natural body weight exercise you could do. He gets mad at me because I don't do them on the planks. I still have to put my I'm hands on the ground. I'm just trying to show you another way to do it. Right. I put my feet on the end of the bed. It's like I'm still doing the old school push-ups. It's like I don't know. It's just prison. Yeah, it's a prison word. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Limited space. All right, we yeah, got a couple yeah. of buckle fire. We got a couple of good questions from some fans writing in. Yeah, yeah, we do okay. a listener question component. And um, mm-hmm. just wanted to, to get your take on a couple of uh, fitness-related questions that we've gotten in. So uh, Nathan B. asks, what workout would you suggest for a league player? I'm, I'm guessing this is someone maybe in the you know 35 to 50 age range. How often per week and is more cardio or strength needed? First of all, people do way too much cardio. Way too mm. much. And tennis is not an aerobic sport. Like we talk about, when you have to recognize the elements of a sport, you have to recognize what's the metabolic system of that particular sport. And it's predominantly anaerobic. So you don't need to do all the cardio. You need to get on the court and do some baseline to baseline runs, you know, alley to alley runs, change of direction. That's appropriate for that particular sport. Mm-hmm. So you can cut your time off in the gym and getting on the, the treadmill or the, you know, um, so like I think things have evolved. People are smarter now in terms of how they train. So the long, slow distance, no, that's out. You know, they say you train slow, you play slow. So that's something that you really want to stay away from. So, um, and plus, if you, whatever racket time you have, you know, it's like a lesson plan. You have to take your, your, your 10 minutes of, of, of serving, your 10 minutes of volleying. You have to kind of put it all together um, just like a coach would. If, you, your own, if you, you are your own coach. So you have to kind of, if you all know you have an hour, then what am I going to do? in all phases of the game to, uh, and you usually generally finish up with the, the conditioning part because the technical part is, that's what the game is. It's technique and skill. So any type of uh, drop in fitness or fatigue is really going to affect the technical skill. So you're always doing your conditioning at the end. So, well, speak of old school, I told you I was doing pushups. You know what I find myself doing now a lot? I don't know if this is counterproductive, productive, Let's say before I hit on the wall for 15 minutes, I find myself walking for 20 minutes, you know, maybe longer than I hit, walk, you know, a bunch of laps, swinging the racket, kind of stretching. And then once I start to hit on the wall, I'm actually fairly, you know, I've done more aerobic than I'm going to do on the wall. So I am doing a lot of walking now. Well, that's, you know, I, I think as we get older, you're trying to find something that really fits for for Brad Gilbert, which may not fit for a 19 year old. I think that's the tricky part of this question too, is it's such yeah. a, you know, it depends on the person. Yeah. And it depends on the athlete and the level that you're playing. And, uh, you know, it's experiment. You're always trying to number one, educate yourself as to what are the new techniques, because a lot of these things, you know, going out and jogging a slow two miles, it doesn't transfer over to tennis. I got friends that are like, you know, old like me. And I find that like, do you find this happen a lot? Guys get and women get too gung ho and they get hurt and they're always constantly battling rehab after being gung ho. So I'm trying to avoid that. Yes. Yeah. I know. I mean, you have to have a real uh, antenna on your body. You have to know. And that's where, you know, all the technology now with wearable Mm -hmm. devices comes in for these athletes. They're really lucky to have all this information um, they can tell sh- sh- uh, workloads, stress on particular areas of the body, 
of the body, force production, heart rate. They even have devices now where you lay on your back and you put a device on your forehead of how you slept. Mm. And all that information goes into a computer, spits it out, and now the coach, basketball coach, tennis coach, now has the information to see just how you know physically stressed that player is. Do I? What am I going to do with that player? Am I going to overload him even more today in a session, or I'm going to kind of pull back? So all these things that are available to athletes now, it's amazing. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, and I think I think you know probably tennis has does have a little bit of catching up to do in regards to that compared to some other sports, but. Totally, like you know, that could be just the way it's going in the future with inter- injury prevention, just not overloading when it's not the right time. Right. Yeah, I'm surprised. I'm surprised, like because it, it started in Europe and uh, soccer, that you know, some of these European players, you know, with their coaches, have not even possibly experimented with these devices because it's really yeah. Amazing. I would say some of the, the top the top pros to have. I mean, Djokovic is. I know mm-hmm. he's extremely Cut dialed edge. in with yeah. Cut he's edge, he's you know, so. incredibly, you know. It's just yeah. not like not maybe, you know, as uniform as a, as a team sport would be, you know, where maybe the, some top players can, you know, get more out of it than yeah, with some teams, of the lower players. Teams, yeah. it comes to you in tennis, you know, you are the team. Yeah. And so you, you know, you have to embrace it or take it on, you know, to do some of these things that, you know, you have to pay for. You have yeah. to do your own resources. Sounds like it'd be a good investment to me, though. Yeah, but and I mean, I'm old school. It took me a little while to get into that part of it, but it's not going away. No, yeah, right. <laughs> and you know, I've always been more on the eyeball test, and I'm sure. Yeah, Brad's I'm the, been same. the same. But but I, yeah. I feel like exactly what you're saying. Sometimes on some things, you know, if you get old, you get left behind. So I'd like to think at 59. I hope when I'm 79, when I'm looking at tennis, I'm not looking at it. 30 years ago. I'm actually looking at it at the lens where we are now. And I'm sure some of the things you're saying, if I coach now that, you know, analytics and all these things that maybe, you know, because I do use the eyes, but you know, you have to learn and incorporate this stuff. Otherwise you're, you're going behind. No question. No question. All right. One more question. Uh, Dan from Australia says, my 11 year old son loves tennis and trains regularly. My concern is his footwork. It's improved a lot and he moves reasonably well, but he's still quite heavily set on the court. We're doing a lot of foot speed, uh, foot speed work, soccer and plyometrics, but I wanted to ask for your advice on whether it's realistic to get him up to a top level and do the top players all have great footwork to begin with, or is it possible to develop it with hard work and dedication? You must work at, if it's a priority that, if it's a weakness of that particular child and you can see it as a coach or a father, then you need to really pay some extra attention to it. Now, he said he mentioned the word plyometrics. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, this is an 11-year-old kid who whose uh, joints have not fused yet. He hasn't reached maturity yet. So you better be very, very careful of using, you know, we don't know what type of plyometrics he's using, but I've always been an advocate of like soft plyometrics, you know, playing close to the ground, but letting the feet, fi- the, the feet fire. And so you be very careful because some coaches overuse this and it's just not appropriate right now for an 11 year old child to be doing, you know, whether it's drops, dropping off of boxes, Mm. it's just not appropriate and exploding up. So I would definitely, you know, be really cautious of that. But there's an enormous amount of information um, of using the foot ladder. I mean, there's hundreds of different types of foot ladder drills that you can do. Now, if you don't have access to that, you just use the same type of drills over the line. Mm-hmm. 
just get as much out of that as you can. Again, is if you're creative. So you really got to, you know, it's something that as a coach, you, you'll see that that player is struggling foot-wise and it'll work. As soon as their body starts to change, it'll get better, if, assuming you're working on it. You, you know, I, I always feel too that you can't let somebody know constantly that they're slow or their forehand isn't any good. I, I'm, I remember every single one of the workouts that you had with Chris Mullen. I never heard you once say anything about his feet. You always gave him, you know, encouragement. And I, I still feel like in this case that if encouragement is such a massive thing for somebody's growth and, you know, sometimes creativity in coaching, you might know that he might not be the, the fastest, but who would ever t- thought last night I'm watching Jokic and he was the best player on the court and he doesn't have the best feet, but he's got the biggest heart and best hands. Yeah, you know, so many coaches, it's always about what they can't do as opposed to what they can do. Mm-hmm. And if that player has this one great skill that he's going to crush you on, like Molly could shoot that thing, and his my idea is, well, so Molly doesn't have great – fine, you know? But there's nobody had better hands and eyes and feel for the game. And feel is something you can't teach. It's there or it's not there. Um, so – you just have to understand what is, you know, confidence is everything in, in life. Forget sports, in business, in, in everything. Confidence is everything. So, you know, you're constantly being positive and communicating in a way that is not destructive or takes that athlete down. They know they're slow, perhaps. They know that. They know they're not. I mean, they've heard it from probably other people, you know, or they've heard it on the TV or whatever. But, you know, they have that one skill that will – that will hurt you. That will kill you. And Jokic has it and Molly had it. And a lot of players, you know, um, Brad, you, you know, you got by on, on, on uh, belief, you know, belief, confidence. That is, that's everything in life. You know, that's, that's what, it, what it's all about. And if you don't have that in, in sports, you are, you know, and how many players do you know, Brad, who had incredible skill, but no belief. And it showed in their body language. You know, I always wanted a player to walk onto the basketball back, walk onto that wood. I said, walk onto that wood like you like you belong there. Yeah, it's such a such a valuable lesson. And now with so many kids and, and some pros that I look at, you know, we talked about feet, we talked about a few things. Actually, the first thing that I look at now, you you said such a great word, belief. I, I actually want to know from their inside, is it them? It, it, are they all in? It's not their parents. It's not their coach. It's their passion, their desire to want to be there. It's not somebody else's. And so sometimes when you see that, that makes you nervous. But when a kid or a pro, they're there because of their desire. That That's what I gravitate to. And their love for the love of, of that particular sport. Yeah. And working at it when no one's around. No one sees it. No one sees the hours. No one saw the hours what Kobe put in. You know, no one saw the, the hours Mully put in. No one saw the hours you put in, you know. So it's the belief. It's love. It's, it's so much of that from the neck up. I mean, it's amazing how much it is from the neck up. You got me inspired, man. I better go do some <laughs> more push-ups. I better go do something. Listen, your inspiration, you, you know, sometimes you never know when it's going to come. When I met you at the San Francisco Tennis Club in 1983, I had a big head of hair. 
<laughs> I had big belief, but just I'm telling you, the crossover step yes. meant that like I had no clue. It's amazing that one little revolutionary thing that didn't seem that crazy changed a lot of my tennis career. Right, right. Recovery. Yes, yes. Yeah, and like you said, you know, we're all we're still learning. Every every day, there's something new to see, to learn, to use. Because all coaches steal from each other <laughs> in every sport. They all steal things, and that's the way it should be. You know, it's it's a coaching community, and you're trying to sh- you're just trying to share it, like we're doing now. We're trying to share it with people who, you know, need information, and that's what it's all about. It's coaching is caring. Much love, buddy. We appreciate the time. Check. Check. He's going to be hearing that one now. Uh, All right, guys. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you you so much for having me. Thank you so much.